Good morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. Marissa pointed out that in the bulletin I neglected to take out open house. It's still today apparently. So if you really want to make it a good open house, invite some people to come tonight. There's a man and uh, he went to services. His wife was sick that day and she wasn't able to go with him. He was a man of, of very few words. And so he comes home from services and his wife asks him, well, how did it go? Good. Well, how was the preacher's lesson? It was fine. Well, what did he talk about? Sin. Well, what did he say? He's against it. That was what he told her about the services. Our lesson for this morning is about sin. And it seems like a broad topic and something that we probably talk about every week, maybe. But today's lesson is specifically on understanding and avoiding sin. We as Christians, we fall into traps of Satan often. And we sin. Now, does that make us sinners? I don't believe so. Because we're continually cleansed of that sin as long as we look to Christ and, and do God's will. But sin is something that affects us to a very great degree. Something that we have to be careful of. Something that we have to be fully aware of. Sin is lawlessness. Or lawless transgression of the law of God. Or rebellion against God. Transgression of the law of God or rebellion against God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Defining sin, however, is made difficult by the creation of, of certain laws. We see that it is not against our nation's law to drink alcohol and to be drunk. However, Scripture warns of the evils of alcohol's misuse. It is legal for consenting adults to have suggestive relations with one another that are condemned in God's Word. So we kind of blurred the line of sin to some degree by having laws that, that say it's okay to do certain things and then you have God's law on the other hand that says it's not okay. And so the line is blurred. But one thing that we have to understand, and I think one thing that we agree on as Christians, is that sin is to be avoided and overcome by Christians. We must overcome sin. If we are going to be faithful to God, we must overcome sin in our lives. So our lesson objectives for this morning are first of all to understand what sin is and why it is condemned in Scripture. And secondly to avoid anything considered to be sin in the Bible. I want us to look first at the beginnings of sin. And there are some misconceptions about the beginnings of sin. Let's first talk first about temptation. And this is one of the misconceptions that people have. Sin is not being tempted, but giving in to temptation. We can be tempted and still avoid sin. 
just because we're tempted, that does not make us sinful in what we are doing. However, it's how we handle that temptation that makes certain things sinful if we commit those sins, if we go through with them. Adam and Eve did not sin until they ate of the forbidden fruit, for instance. And even though he was tempted, as we read in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus did not give in to temptation. And Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Temptation is defined as the act of tempting, enticement, and allurement. One cannot blame temptation completely for the sins he has committed. Well, I was tempted to do this. That doesn't mean you had to do it. So, temptation cannot be fully blamed. And though temptation is the beginning point of sin, it does not constitute the act. So, we have to be aware that temptation in and of itself is not sin. Just because we're tempted doesn't mean that we're sinning. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're doing something wrong. It's just an opportunity for Satan to try to take us and pull us under. Well, let's look at the heart. That also has, in with it, some of the beginnings of sin. Temptation can only influence a lukewarm, leaning, or unfaithful heart. You see, if we have the right heart, we can overcome the temptation. We can overcome what we're being faced with. But if our heart is leaning in the direction of sin, even just a little bit, that's when we sin. You can sit at the door of temptation, but if you sit there long enough, you're going to walk through it. That's what we have to be aware of. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about murder and adultery in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Beginning with verse 21, Jesus said this. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, these are matters of the heart. These acts, these sins can only be committed when the heart is leaning in the direction of sin. Go back to murder. It begins with anger. With anger, we're leaning in the direction of sin, and so our heart is leaning in that direction, and the temptation will overtake us if we're not careful. We cannot have an angry heart. Same way with adultery. When we look at adultery, we see that, that the heart has already looked 
and lusted. A lustful heart is leaning in the direction of the sin. It's much easier to commit that sin when the heart has already done so. So Jesus spoke of, of matters of morality and how they deal with the heart. But it's not all the heart either. It's also our view of sin. The way that we see sin. The way that we look at sin. Sin can, can always be justified to man. Even if it is a lie. I, I dare say that anything that we do, we might can come up with some logical reason as to why it must have happened or why we allowed ourselves to do a certain thing. We can justify it in some way. Satan will provide the justification if we look for it close enough. But that doesn't make it right. Just because it can be justified in our minds doesn't mean that it's justified in God's Word. That's where we have to be careful. A moment ago I mentioned Adam and Eve. Let's look at their sin a little bit closer. Genesis chapter 3. We'll pick up reading at verse 2. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What Satan did there was he added a, a three-letter word, not. You will not surely die. But what he did was he put justification in Eve's mind. He, he told her, it, it's okay. And she thought, well, you know, that sounds pretty good. We'll be like God and we'll have our eyes open. We'll know good and evil. And that, that's all great. He justified it in her mind. So she ate the fruit. She took it to her husband. He also ate the fruit. And to them, it was okay. Until they realized they're wrong. Another thing we have to be careful of is that we have to understand that sin can look and feel right. But that doesn't mean that it is. In the moment, yes, it can look and feel like it's the right thing to do, but that doesn't make it right. We have to be aware of God's Word. We have to understand right from wrong and we have to avoid what is wrong, even if it looks like it's okay. Let's look at a couple of sins in particular. Let's look at drunkenness. You know, we're, we're warned so many times in Scripture about the evils of being drunk and how awful it is for the mind to, to be not sober. And when we're not sober, we're not thinking straight. We're not making the right decisions. It's a very evil danger. But I dare say that if we ask anybody 
that drinks alcohol on a regular basis, they'll tell you it looks good, it, it tastes good. And, and maybe it's even fun, at least for a while. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 says this. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Have to be careful not to be led astray by something that, that looks and tastes good. Proverbs 23, verses 31 through 33. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. We can be led astray. So we have to be aware of that. Adultery. Talked about adultery a moment ago. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and beginning with verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. Verse 4, then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. See, in that moment, his focus was on a beautiful woman. He asked about her. And when he was told who she was, well, this is Bathsheba. This is the wife of Uriah. When he heard wife of somebody, he should have just stopped, but he didn't. You see, his focus was on something that looked good. His focus was on a beautiful woman. A beautiful woman that he wanted so badly to be his. Even if she belonged to another. The temptation of sin is deceptive. And many, even very good hearts, hearts that are fixed on God can be led astray by temptation. Looks good. Feels good. Must be right. Not necessarily. Have to be very careful of how we view sin. See, Satan wants us to see sin as not that bad. But it can be, be very evil. And very bad for the heart of a Christian. So we've noticed some things about sin. We've, we've noticed, first of all, that temptation is not necessarily sin. It leads to sin, but it's not necessarily sin. We can overcome temptation. We have to have the right heart. We have to have a heart that is centered and focused on God all the time. And we have to be careful of how we look at things and not try to justify them, but make sure that they're right according to God's Word so that we can avoid sin. But, but now that we know what sin is and how it begins, we also need to know how it ends. So let's look at the outcomes of sin. There are three things that, that come up every time 
When somebody sins, when somebody falls to temptation and they sin, there is something that happens that goes along with it. Some kind of consequence, something that comes along with that sin. And we need to be aware of those things so that we can avoid them. They will help us to avoid them. One of the outcomes of sin that always comes when sin is involved, suffering. There's always suffering when it comes to sin. In the case of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, we read of consequences of their sin. Genesis 3 and verse 16, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. There were consequences to their sin. In the case of David and Bathsheba, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. There were consequences for their actions. Some consequences are placed on us by God because of what we have done. In the case of Adam and Eve, it meant that they were banished from perfect garden woman was was to bear children in pain she was to bear children and bring them forth Adam was was forced to work cursed is the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life there were consequences to their actions in the case of David and Bathsheba, the child that was conceived in adultery would also die. And even in these cases, we see that mercy was granted and that God spared their lives. In David's case, he didn't hold his sin to his charge but there were consequences to be faced. Other consequences are a result of what we have done. There are things that God places on us because of what we've done, but there are also consequences that are a result of what we have done, such as a guilty conscience. Do you ever think about what you've done? You've done something wrong and you just cannot get it out of your mind until you finally confess. I think we see it more often as children, but it happens in adults as well. We should have a guilty conscience if we've done something wrong. 
And that's a consequence that is a result of, of what we have done. Physical impairment or illness, sometimes that happens as a result of what we have done. Sometimes we are injured in the process of, of doing something wrong and we have to face that consequence. And there are others that, that we can make a long list of that, that can be consequences of our actions. And sometimes it's not even us that is affected most by our actions, but others. There are some who suffer because of the sins of others. Think of the regret or the wondering that, that a child feels in being an illegitimate child. One whose mother and father are not married. There's a lot of regret. There's a lot of guilt there. Wondering, what if? And that's something that the child suffers because of the sin of his, his or her parents. Physical impairment or death caused by a drunk driver, that's... The, the result of something that someone else has done. But it happens so often. They can burn that chapel. And what they faced last Sunday. Uh, someone came in shooting. One person lost their life. Others were injured. And that was a result of one man's sin. So there are certain things that happen to other people too as a result of sin. Now sometimes we, there are things that we do that we can keep between us and God. But there are many more times I believe that, that other people are affected by our wrongdoing. So that's one of, of the outcomes of sin. Another is spiritual corruption that comes as a result of sin in warning of the power of sin in John chapter 8 and verse 34 we read this Jesus answered them most assuredly I say to you whoever commits sin is a slave to sin do you want to be a slave do you want to have to constantly serve someone or something else exactly what happens when sin enters the picture. We become a slave to it. And then we can't do anything other than, than committing these sins and sins on top of sins to try to cover up the sins that we've committed. It's an ongoing process but we become a slave to it. We have to avoid becoming slaves to sin. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It is a deceitful thing. It will change our minds. It will, uh, it will transform us into something that we don't want to be. Sin has great power. We have to be aware of the power of sin. We also read of the result of sin in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning with verse 17 and reading through verse 22. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, 
who being past feeling having, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We become corrupted. We become changed in a way that God is not pleased with. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. What does it mean to have your conscience seared with a hot iron? It means that, that your mind is altered in such a way as to be deceived. It's spiritual corruption. That's one of the outcomes of sin. We cannot allow ourselves to be corrupted before God. We are encouraged in Scripture to remain holy. To be a peculiar people, a different people. We are to be like Jesus and no other. And finally, eternal condemnation is an outcome of sin. Eternity away from God. Eternity spent in torment and torture. Pain, agony, suffering. Those who continue in sin will face eternal destruction. Matthew 7 and verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Matthew 25 and verse 46 tells us that the wicked will go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting. Not just destruction, but everlasting destruction and punishment. Can you imagine? I told you that as a child I, I tried to, to imagine and dream up of what eternity would be like. In a heavenly sense, of course. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine what eternity is like. Something that never, ever ends. But can you imagine... Facing the consequence of eternal destruction, condemnation. I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine. I'm sure neither do you. Continued willful sin leads to a just, a deserved judgment. Hebrews 10 verse 26 for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversary. Will devour 
the adversaries. It is a just judgment. A certain fearful expectation of judgment comes along with willful sin. We can expect it. We know it's coming. And so we are encouraged to avoid sin. Sin is very powerful. It's something that will eat and eat at us if we commit it. It's something that, that we'll, we'll be lured into by temptation. If we allow ourselves to fall to that temptation, it's something to be aware of. It's something to overcome. Christians are encouraged to overcome sin. Only those who are obedient to the gospel can overcome sin. Obedience to the gospel Belief and confession of faith, repentance, turning away from the evils that, that we've been faced with and, and been a slave to for so long. And being baptized for the remission of sins, there is no other way to avoid sin but to be a Christian. Only those who remain faithful can overcome sin. You see, we, once we have obeyed the gospel, we cannot turn back to it. We cannot go back to the life that we once lived. We have to continue in the ways of righteousness and in the ways of God. Something that we have to realize about Christianity and about how we deal with sin we must realize that we are at war every day. And I'm not talking about wars of other nations and things that we get involved in in the United States. Those are wars of another nature. But we, as Christians, are constantly at war. Have you ever wondered why we have so many songs about battle? Faith is the victory. Soldiers of Christ arise. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Am I a soldier of the cross? have so many songs that are about battle and fighting. Sound the battle cry. Sin is something that we are at war with. and something that we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of its power. We need to be armed. We need to be armed the Word of God. We need to be armed with faith. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts or armies of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
having done all to stand. To overcome, one must live the life of a Christian, putting away all evil from us, taking up the cross of Jesus, bearing fruit, and living faithfully. We must be aware of the war that we're fighting. It's not to say that we won't lose battles now and then. We do. Every day I realize something that I've done that I could have done better. Or something that I could have avoided. Sin is, is like a plague. It's always there. It's something that we can always give into at any given moment. And something that's easy to give into on many an occasion. But we are told as Christians to overcome. And to overcome, we must be armed with the armor of God. We must always stand ready and at attention and willing to fight the battle. I may never march in the infantry or ride in the cavalry or shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I am in the Lord's army. Love that song. Are you in the Lord's army? Are you a Christian? Are you a faithful child of God? Or are you giving in to sin? Are you giving in to something in your life that, that, that is, seems unavoidable? Maybe there's something that we can help you with in, in remaining faithful or becoming a Christian. Whatever your need is today. If you have a need, there's something that we can help you with. We love you. We care for you. We're glad to help you. If you'll come as we stand and as we sing.